it's Adam and Margaret. Margaret, yep. And uh, we are talking about Wyville today, right? And water. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wyville, there's been, um, for those of you that may remember Site 41 from ages ago, that was in tiny township up in that area. And there's kind of a new battle that's been not really that new. It's been going on for a couple of years now. Um, that's kind of dealing with the same water. And so now we're up in Wyvale today talking to Beth Brass Elson and Bonnie Pigeon. Yeah. And uh, Aaron Archer also joins oh. us a little bit later. I'm not sure if she makes it for the interview portion that we did, but we no, went for a little bit of, of a walkabout. They showed us some these incredible springs that uh, flow mm-hmm. in, in, in the forests around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll hear them explain a little bit about how water, if you if you try and dig a well in some of these areas, water will pretty much explode out of the ground uh, dangerously. Right. 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 <laughs> Which is crazy. Yeah. And we're kind of focusing on this because some of you may not recognize how reliant people and businesses in Simcoe County are on groundwater, which is a non-renewable resource. Um, yes, I said that properly. It's a non-renewable resource. So... Um, they they are fighting for water that kind of sustains a huge part of the population in Tiny and Tay and upper reaches of spring water and um, connects to the Alice Aquifer, which goes all the way uh, down past Innisfil. So it's a large part of Simcoe County, and uh, they have their own little fight uh, as a part of it. My name is Bonnie Posey. I uh, lived at this present location since uh, 1991. I grew up in the township here. I'm a resident of Tiny Township. Love it. I've uh, felt uh, very privileged to grow up next to the Georgian Bay because I think it's it's a pristine, beautiful, precious resource that we need to protect. But my husband and I moved to this farm in 1991 and uh, we bought this farm because of the beautiful water, the abundance and the the beautiful water that was just free-flowing all over it. It wasn't much of a farm. It was kind of a lake. Mm. Our father, my father-in-law said, you didn't buy a farm, you bought a, an island. A house <laughs> on an island. There's water everywhere. I said, yeah, but it's beautiful. Look at it. But anyways, so um, anyways, so do you want me to continue? No, we'll get Beth in here and then tell her. Uh-huh. I'm going to Bajou, named away Mondadok, Wabshke Mayangan Dishnikas, Wabshay Shein Dodum, Chilnising Donjaba, Jibway Nishna Bakeway and Dow, Miss Wendon, Weemadamion. My name is Elizabeth Brass Elson, my spirit name is White Wolf, and I'm from Osley First Nation. And I'm a Jibway, and I'm a Maday initiate. Um, I live uh, Cedar Point, right on the bay. And uh, really enjoy this area for the crystal, crystal clear waters. Okay. So I'm just going to try and sum it up as best I can because we're going to have lots of resources for people to get into kind of the nuts and bolts. And today I think what we're talking to um, Beth and Bonnie about, and Adam's here too. Hello, Adam. Hi. I'm <laughs> just going to be quiet for most Yeah, supposedly I'm, I'm on, on cue today. Um, uh, we're going to pr- put resources up so that people can get more in depth with the zoning applications and all that sort of thing. But I think I just want to hit the top notes, which is there is an aggregate application that's it was an existing aggregate operation, which is now looking at expanding and going deeper. Am I correct? Well, 
their application says they can go above the water table, three meters above the water table. And I believe that the next 15 acres that they've applied for is three meters above the water table. Okay. The concern is, and that is the Dufferin aggregate pit, mm -hmm. but there's also the Sargent aggregate pit. And Sargent, while we were having discussion with Dufferin, in conflict with Dufferin, Sargent received um, all their permits, rezoned agricultural land to aggregate via the township. And uh, now they have a permit, they have a permit to remove 1 million tones per 50 acres of land. They have 200 acres of land, so that's 2 million tones. And they have a permit to go below the water table. Okay. So Sergeant does, Dufferin doesn't. Okay. And they're right next to each other? They're right next door. Actually, just due south of us, there's 630 acres, I believe, that is classified was is classified for aggregate. Used to be agricultural one and two land, and it was all purchased during the Site 41 battle, and uh, was the township at that point um, changed, rezoned it from aggregate, from agriculture to aggregate one and two. So sorry, that go back the site forty one lands. I thought those ones were put under easement, were they? Yeah, they were under easement, so they're below they're in the discharge area. Okay. And this huge berm, the Waverly Uplands, mm -hmm. is where they bought the six hundred acres and okay. change which is all beautiful agricultural land that was rezoned during Site Forty One's final oh, I see, phase of battle. They went up. They, uh, sergeants rezoned and Beamish rezoned the agricultural land, uh, made application to the township and had all the agricultural land that they had purchased, right. over 600 acres, zoned into aggregate one and two. So we thought it might be useful to just really briefly talk about what Site 41 is about. Yeah, so Site 41, or at the time I was known as Dump Site 41, and the name came from actually that was how the county and the municipality and the, the provincial government looked at the land designation, so it was actually Site 41, uh, was a proposal to put a landfill in. Currently, it's agricultural land. Who's um, garbage? Uh, I believe it's going to be county garbage. Oh, yeah? Um, I'm not a Site 41 expert, though. There's people like uh, Ann Nahus that would be able to probably correct right. me on some of this. But uh, Follow-up podcast. Follow-up, yes. Um, so Site 41 was a uh, battle to stop a landfill, which was on a recharge area and key waters part of the Allison Aquifer. Mm. The concern was that there would be leaching from the landfill of toxins that would then get into the water, thereby poisoning the water. And for those that don't know, the Alliston Aquifer is a very large complex of aquifers. Aquifers being uh, spaces below the ground that contain water. It's not like cavernous. It's not like a big cave of water, but kind of like layers where water's mixed with other things. More accessible, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Did I get that right? Mm. Yeah, well, actually, one of the one of the um, there's a video that we did a while ago uh, with a, uh, a scientist, Bill Shottick, mm. um, who tested the water around Elmville. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, but uh, mm -hmm. he explains he goes into that a little bit more as well. Yeah, uh, we'll link to that in the episode notes. Um, great. All right. Well, let's get back to the interview. Right. So what we have is prime farmland. 
being the, the essence of it is prime farmland being changed into an aggregate operation that's 2 million tons. Is that per year or total? Per year. 2 million per tons per year. So Dufferin, who is operating at the moment, can uh, produce, they can operate for 210 days a year, produce 600,000 tons a year, and they can pump one point. 4 million liters of fresh water out of the flow and 5.6 million liters of water out of their wash pond to wash gravel per day, per day, not per year, per day. Okay. So there's over 6 million liters of water that could essentially be pumped per day um, from their water taking permit. 6 million liters of water. Okay. And so... Some people would think that this is just about aggregate, but I, I have come to know this issue. It's actually much more about water. Mm -hmm. um, people might think that this is, oh, just, you know, you guys are against pits, but I think really what's happening is the location of this pit's very unique and it's surrounded by some really um, interesting, uh, an interesting water story, if you will. So would either of you like to speak about the significance of where this aggregate is and how that impacts the greater water story of this area? No. Whoever. <laughs> yeah. Don't speak all at once. I'm not disappointing. I'll do the science and then Beth can do uh, the greater. I'm so good at the spiritual. The Waverly <laughs> Uplands is this huge berm of, uh, this huge berm of aggregate that the scientists, Bill Schottick and others, have realized that it's built, it's a wonderful filter. It's geology is the filter for our great aquifer. And our, I live in the discharge area, and that's the recharge, considered the recharge area. Right. So just, just to stop, because I know not everybody's going to be a water expert, you've got recharge areas where precipitation would come in, it filters down into the ground, into an aquifer, which is below the ground surface. It's a spot where in the ground where water is stored, mixed with gravel, sand, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. And the discharge area is where eventually that water kind of comes out. That's yeah. where you discharge it. Just to keep everybody up to date, because sometimes we forget <laughs> how much all of this stuff, like what's an aquifer, what's a discharge area. Mm -hmm. So anyways, just to get people up to speed on that. So within the perimeter of the Waverly Uplands, you can walk around it and find these very natural artesian flows that are flowing crystal clear water. Pumping up from the ground. Pumping up from the ground. And they have great hydrogeological pressure. I, I don't know that it's been tested. Okay, so after we recorded this uh, interview at Bonnie's house, we mm -hmm. got in her in her truck and she took us down the road a little bit. Here because one day the wood duck has water and then two weeks later, the wood duck no longer has water, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like, these are all species that need protection from it's just become so volatile. Um, and and pulled off to the side of the road, and uh, we ventured into a forest there, where she flow. She showed us this flow <laughs> uh, that she's been talking about, or, or one of the flows, anyways, that she's been talking about, where mm -hmm. um, water just sort of seeps up, gushes out of this little... Yeah, it's not like a... I don't want people to think like it's a river. It's kind of like you see the, this still water, but in certain corners, you just see it bubbling up almost like as if you had a hose underneath mm -hmm. the water surface, like mm -hmm. that kind of imagining. You know, if you think about that, you put a hose under the water, you see like the bubble up. Like that's that's what we're talking about when we say flow in this right. regards. Yeah. Right. 
And there's, a, I mean, not a lot of people when they say flow with respect to the Waverly, the water in the area, they're talking about the drill. The flow. Yeah, the flow. <laughs> the um, flow, the flow, whatever. With, with quotes around that, we're both doing that uh, with our hands. Anyways, yeah, just north of Elmville, mm -hmm. where you can go and fill up your water a lot. It's pretty famous. A lot of people know that. Um, same, anyways, just, same water system, right? Yeah. And I think what, what we're trying to impress upon people, whether it be through this podcast or other ways, is just the complexity of the system, mm -hmm. right? It's like a it's like a really complex spider web that scientists don't even fully understand. They understand a few strands of it. Uh, they can measure a few strands of it. And then you just slowly pull one strand out. And we don't know how many strands are in the web. We don't know how many we've pulled out and how long the spider web can maintain its integrity. Right. Like, what is that point that we go, oops, gone too far. Now what do we do? Right? Well, well, and it's a good analogy also, uh, but I think needs to be built on a little bit because the integrity of it isn't simply the 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 geometrical sort of the symmetry of it or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, it's the fact that, you know, uh, sustenance also comes from that web for yeah. the spider. Yeah. Right. It gets its food using that web. It lives there. And, and you know, fresh water is very much key integral to that so blowing holes in it mm -hmm. there's a fantastic sarah harmer song which i'm this is running through my head right now maybe we'll close out with that song Cartman. yeah um and we you know pay our royalties <laughs> but um but anyways we uh yeah you know and, and you just blow holes through this spider web without really understanding the consequences of your actions there you mm -hmm. know obviously there's um things that are attempted to minimize impacts this and that but mm -hmm. it's you know without understanding without actually understanding the impacts mm -hmm. uh problems remain anyways uh we we uh did some recording of this little uh excursion so we'll throw that in here and uh, we'll resume the interview in a second aaron i've brought aaron in here and it's like the coolest air conditioning because from coming from the water So you'll see some things like the barrel and that little thing. The girl guys used to come up here and picnic and have a, a nice uh, outdoor experience with the endangered species one. Did you never even notice this cool, uh, it's like a little curvy grass, eh? Did you, did you see this, Margaret? Did you? Sorry. Did, did you see? Yeah, yeah. take a close look at the sand? Mm -hmm. see? I've got really good eyes, so I can like see it from way back here. But it takes a minute. It's got a magicalness to it. Might be hard to get on them. Your reflection and stuff. Maybe. Did you really see it though? <laughs> look. I really. <laughs> Look. I did just look. That is cool. Isn't it cool? That is cool. There is, sometime when you're not on a time frame, there's another great big boil, a huge one like that, over at the Kelmer farm. It's like cool. Now look in here. I'm not going to just pull, pull on my tracks because if you go too far, you're going to sink up to your knees. Yeah. And just put your head like this is what I do. I go down here. Just listen, and you can hear the water coming in. You can hear the water. Like you can hear 
It's a rival. It's like, it's taking a turret breath. It's the coolest thing. It's like a new girl baby. <laughs> Catch it. Do you hear what I'm hearing? Yeah, I do. I know we're getting rained upon by yeah. the, the rain's not helping us, but you know that. Cool. Right? So all that water you saw dumping. I love it when yeah, I come it's up coming the from up here. It's coming from this embankment, but this is what the Wolf, when we walked around, he gave me a real good geology lesson. So this is the immediate discharge. So recharge up there. And these are called uh, marines. They're called, this is called a, uh, uh, it's a special marine where the ice age came and pushed a bunch of dirt and then melted. So it's just pushing dirt rather than, he's got a name for it. There's four different marines, sorry. This is Bill? No, um, um, well, Wilf Ruland. Okay. Look up his bio. It's interesting because I'm involved with a group from uh, Oak Ridge's Marine that's looking at studying all the Marines in Central County. And there's only two that are formally recognized, the Oro Marine and the Horseshoe Marine. And I know that there's more, I just didn't know. So it's good to know that there's some here. But see how all the water comes out? Now, if you had better boots on, rubber boots, I'd take you to look at all these other little spots like this. Because it gets quite sinking over there. Yeah. But there's more of them. And there's more going towards my place. Like, because uh, I'm north of here. Yeah. Like the next. Thanks, guys. We were fortunate to be within the three kilometer radius of Site 41. So our wet water was tested from the 90s to the last time it was tested was 2006 mm. for Site 41. And they realized that it was like one of the mm. and other alternative flows in the area are of the quality of being um, the cleanest and purest water in the world they're one of those mm -hmm. sources mm -hmm. so they've been studying why and they really feel it's the geology that's filtering this water and it's fairly young water mm. and they date that water and a scientist can tell you that and they feel that it's young water so the rain that falls from the sky is full of imperfections but we're been blessed with nature giving us the ice age giving us this wonderful filter cloth Mm -hmm. that's providing thousands of people with pristine drinking water. So then the, the, the concern is that you've got at the top of this hill, this whole, all these layers of sand and gravel and bedrock and everything else. And as you cut and dig into that for aggregate, that basically you're ruining this filter cloth, as you said. And, and now the water that is so pure, one of the purest in the world, is now losing the, the, losing the, the filter cloth that makes it so pure. It's affecting everybody. So our water was tested in 2006. 2009, suddenly, we have two flows on the property that flow continuously. They're not constrained. They just, they flow, we access them. Mm -hmm. And that this process, this 
farm is 100 years old, has been here for 100 years. The two wells are roughly 1,000 meters apart. So suddenly we started getting very muddy, silty water appear out of the flows. And it came, uh, it was really tragic. Oh my God, there's our beautiful water, what's happening? And for the longest time, we didn't, my husband initially thought it was maybe a malfunction of the well, but the other well was also doing it. So then we visited all the little local natural springs and they all had silt pouring out of them. Got quite concerning. The neighbor, north uh, south of us, was flooded out. So there was huge changes occurring in nature. So we started snooping around and at that point, uh, Beamish uh, was operating the, the gravel pit and they had started to wash gravel at a great rate. And part of their um, aggregate permit was not to have a wash pond. So for a couple of years, they operated without a wash pond. So we really feel that it was seeping. So we tried to let them know and there was very poor cooperation with them with regards to, they were very dismissive and told us that it was our problem, not their problem and didn't answer phone calls. And they were just really remiss. Went to the township. They told us to take it up with the aggregate company. A lot of just brushing us. Meanwhile, Mother Nature was speaking. This mud was coming out. We put a filtration system on. We were losing like anything with a pump in it would get full of salt and so washing machines it'd be like a washing machine how many washing machines have you gone through now it's number nine and how many years uh since 2009 so, so 10 years a washing machine a year roughly roughly yeah <clears throat> and then my husband the out outdoor pump is for the water system and just uh we we created holding tanks we tried to be really clever with it but it, it became more and more jake and i both love the environment we've made a really good living in Algonquin park on the water with the water and we felt the last time we were dismissed by the township we were angry and we hired a lawyer and we hired diane Sachs, the best environmental lawyer we could afford and the best one in the who also happened to be the environmental commissioner now fired, but yeah. yeah. Well, she wasn't at the time the environmental well, no, commissioner. No, 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 yeah, but yeah. that's where she ended up going yeah. was to be the environmental commissioner. So she looked at her issue and she said, oh my God, what are they doing? How come this is going on? She said, you need to hire a hydrologist. So we hired Wilf Roland, who is an independent hydrologist, never been hired by a, a big firm. He's, she basically said to us, he can't be bought. So this is who you need. Mm -hmm. So he came and we did a huge walkabout. He fell in love with the area and the water and the issues. And uh, we produced a hydrogeology report. And then Diane Sachs got moved to environmental commissioner. In the meantime, Beamish sold to Dufferin. So there's been a lot of players switching. In the interim, we find out we get a coalition of neighbors and there's other neighbors that are having well problems also. Cross the road, she has problems. Um, there's about seven seven people that were identified as having well problems, but that was all dismissed. The MOE indicated that it was poor well construction. In the interim, how I got to meet Beth was, I would walk up there all the time and sort of see what they were doing. And, and uh, I could hear a backup beeper 
continuously. And I told my husband, I was working full time at the time. And I said, I need to go find out what the backup beeper's about. And on a Saturday, I went up there and I realized that sergeants had clear cut 50 acres of old growth maples. It was so sad. I was, it broke my heart. It really, really broke my heart. It was so destructive. So come Monday, we started and I happened to share with a friend of mine, I said, you got to come up here. We got to heal these trees. We got to heal the land. It's like, you know, it was just speaking to me. And that's when I met Beth for the first time. And hmm. we were graced with um, a healing ceremony and a drumming. And Beth could speak more to that. It was wonderful. It was yeah. wonderful, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It didn't put the trees back, but it at least made us on a human note acknowledge what was done. My husband got on the telephone and he called the ministry, he called everywhere. They ended up being fined apparently like $30,000. So maybe this is a good time back to speak from your heart wherever you feel you need to start. Well, let's see. Um, at uh, Dumpsite 41, we kind of jumped into that. Uh, I, I couldn't believe that they were even going to give a, a water taking permit. I really didn't think so. My studies are in uh, resource technician, so we took all that stuff in school and we were taught to look after things and there's things that you just don't do. Well, here they are just doing things that we were taught not to do. And we were taught by the Ministry of Natural Resources too. So I'm sitting there thinking, why is the environment of uh, Canada not to, you know, getting Ministry of Environment not getting involved? And why are they letting this go through? So when they let that go through, that was like a shocker to me. Mm -hmm. I really didn't think that it would go. So yeah. that was, that was how many, 30 years or something and they, they started. Yeah, like, it was a long time ago. It was a long battle up near yeah. 85, yeah, 1980. And then yeah. I think it finally in yeah. 2009. Yeah, and you were instrumental in that. People don't understand how much activism is on the ground here in Simcoe mm -hmm. County. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we went there and we uh, decided to go for a water walk. And and uh, I realized that there was like hardly any natives there. And I thought, oh my God, we should be all here, you know, standing up. This is our water. We got to protect it. And this our stuff. This is what we're here to do is protect. We're connected to things. And and uh, when you're talking about the trees up there, that day we went and drummed, it was heart-wrenching to see those great big stumps and those big tops of those trees just laying there. Um, and we're all connected to that. And it does, it gets straight to your heart. So the water is the same way. We're all connected to the water. We're all connected to the lands. We're all connected to everything. And it's just, um, I don't know why I do these things either. I try to stay home and try to stay by myself. But every once in a while, something just clicks in and I have to, I have to go. And it's, I don't think about it. I don't speak about it. I just have to go do it. And that's the way I was taught. You're, everything is uh, inside you to do. And you're placed here for a reason. And all you got to do is open up and do it. And don't think about it and don't speak about it and fear around you will haul you down real quick so you can't have fear mm -hmm. and it is a almost like a disease for us now fear what it's was instilled. it a, what was it about this particular thing with waverly is was it because it was close to site 41 what was it that made you feel this particular issue was was something you were called to do because it's the uh, same aquifer <clears throat> you save something once you shouldn't have to save it again mm -hmm. it's just wrong mm -hmm. wrong wrong 
I don't think people appreciate in Simcoe County how many people rely on their daily water for groundwater. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. people at our municipal water just turn on their taps and they think, oh, it must be coming from the lake, I guess. I mean, even half of Barrie is on, on groundwater, the, the northern part. Um, most of the residents in Simcoe County rely on groundwater. So, um, I think that one thing that I come across, and you both probably can relate, and maybe Adam too, is that when you talk to people about water, they just have this assumption that it always will just be there. Mm-hmm. You just always turn on the tap. It'll always be clean. That that whole, uh, when you're in high school and you learned about the water cycle and you saw like <laughs> the, 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 the arrows that went around and around and around and just this assumption that why would it not be there? And then you start to see stories like with Waverly or Site 41 and it just, it's that death by a thousand cuts, right? Mm-hmm. The yeah. other issue is that this water is is uh, of wonderful quality and we need to protect it. We need to advocate for it. We, can't, we, we won't be able to reverse the process. Mm-hmm. We, we don't have the capacity for that. Mm-hmm. And the other reality in our battle, we realize that people who are on private wells have actually no protection, mm-hmm. no legal protection. Mm-hmm. So the Wellhead Protection Act that evolved out of Walkerton mm-hmm. Um, and all of that whole inquest doesn't protect the private well owner. And and in Ontario, like the community of Waverly, they're all on private wells. Absolutely. They are. And it doesn't protect the private well, and it really has no jurisdiction for a float. Mm -hmm. Nature's most pristine source of water is not protected in this Wellhead Protection Act. This is what we've been saying for a while about source water protection committees because, you know, they put in a a good effort, uh, $250 million, I believe, to understand where municipal water comes from and put in those, like you're saying, well, protection zones. But when it comes to private well owners, I am one, you're one. Um, You don't, there's, there's nothing there to protect you. So it's roughly one third of Simcoe County uh, the residents here rely on private well water mm-hmm. and without any sort of protection at all of understanding of when something gets contaminated. I mean, as a private well owner, I'm supposed to take in a sample of water to the health unit. They test for uh, E. coli mostly. And then you assume that that's it. But there could be lots of other things in your water that you're. it's never tested for, right? It's, it's a huge gap in water protection. Our water was retested in 2017 by the same scientists who tested it in 2006. We have 20 times more metals in our water than we did. So 10 years later, or 11 years later, there's 20 times more metal in this water. So just, uh, Margaret mentioned this a little bit earlier when Bonnie was talking about needing to hire a hydrogeologist and uh, you know a lawyer privately and all that sort of stuff to you know pretty much hold her local government to account mm-hmm. um, for failure to act I don't know I'm, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth but anyways she remarked Margaret remarked that uh, you know this is a private citizen paying money mm-hmm. out of their own pocket to do what essentially is something that 
governments are supposed to do, right? That's the whole point of governments is for mm-hmm. them to act on behalf of citizens to safeguard the interests of citizens. Mm-hmm. But uh, here it comes again, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like the lack of oversight for individual wells, for private wells, the need to get your, you, you were just talking about uh, your own well there and what you have to do. Yeah, like you, you're supposed to get tested while well, there's no one really watching you and you get a very... A very limited report basically saying, yes, you have sewage in your <laughs> Ricola in your, in your water source, you don't. And um, a lot of other things that, that could be in there that you would have to then pay um, several hundred dollars mm-hmm. to get a full spectrum test done. Mm-hmm. And you have to find the, the, the private testing facility and everything else. So, you know, these kind of things, this is where the, con- the concept of environmental justice comes in. Because for someone like Bonnie, luckily she has the resources to hire the experts. And even with the amount of resources that she has and the connections, she's still struggling. Mm-hmm. What happens to people that don't have the agency, don't have the resources to get their well tested, to mm-hmm. hire a hydrogeologist, to hire a lawyer? What happens in those situations, right? Well, and this is this is making me think of the, the whole, uh, the conditions that led to Walkerton, right? Which mm-hmm. we see repeating Mm-hmm. With a similar government, with mm-hmm. a similar bent right now to Mike Harris and his, mm-hmm. his so-called common sense uh, revolution, revolution government, which focused heavily on reducing red tape. Mm-hmm. When they had a red tape commission, commission or something yeah, they did. ridiculous like that. They did. And, and uh, after Walkton, after people died and after many, many, many people got sick and many mm-hmm. of whom still... And they're still sick. Right. <laughs> right. Let's, let's not yeah. forget that. Yeah. They, after the commission, you know, the, 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 the inquiry into that, they, they linked it directly to the mm-hmm. efforts to cut. So red tape, whatever, mm-hmm. you know what, and, but what that is, is it's red tape is a euphemism basically for cutting services for the most part. Sure. There's waste perhaps here and mm-hmm. there and that sort of thing. Um, and sure that should be cut. You know, if they're like, ideally we don't want waste. We mm-hmm. want taxpayers dollars to be spent as efficiently as possible. But that's cutting red tape, cut essential services, mm-hmm. which led to deaths. Mm-hmm. We see that happening again. Mm-hmm. And this is this whole, you know, linking this whole red tape cuttings and finding efficiencies, respecting the taxpayer dollars. Well, okay, you can respect their dollars perhaps, but you're not respecting their health and safety mm-hmm. and well-being mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, and there was an interesting uh, book I was reading talking about thinking in systems and how systems similar to like government are intended to be complicated. They're intended to have overlap Mm -hmm. because at the end of a system is a person, Mm -hmm. right? A Mm -hmm. person who is very responsive to issues with, (laughs) right? So all of a sudden, if you, if you, if we go back to that spider web analogy, the reason why there's like duplicative, if you will, statutes or policies or, you know, um, different different rules and it's the municipal level and whatever else which are termed as waste with the red right, tape is if one of those things goes wrong at least you have something behind to protect right. it because at the end if someone gets injured someone dies someone gets poisoned someone's house gets damaged whatever right. that is a big actual real-time consequence versus having your shares drop in yeah. the stock market yeah right we see this very much this whole uh the the conversation around the boeing max i forget <laughs> what number aircraft uh, it is but uh, mm-hmm. the one that's been cracked and that has been taken out of service mm-hmm. really effectively and that that was a direct result also of massive 
uh, red tape reductions, which pretty much led to um, Boeing be responsible for safety oversight. Right? They were mm-hmm. th- they, there was nobody actually objectively sort of mm-hmm. keeping an eye on what they were doing. That's a quite a tangent, but it all it kind is. of it all kind of plays into these. We we talk about different stories all the time, but at the root is so many similarities. It's almost like telling the same story in like different languages, right? right? Like you're still talking about environmental justice. You're still talking about climate change. You're talking about how to make our communities more equitable. We're talking about the provision and the safety of systems that protect people. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's and all the, this goes toward resilience and, and, and all sorts of things. All of it. Which we're going to, you know, you'll be hearing more from us about that. So uh, anyways, back to the interview. <laughs> I don't remember where well, we were. Okay. <laughs> Bonnie, you mentioned the flow a couple of times, but for people listening, they might not know what that is. Okay. So a flow is in the old days, they would just drive a pipe down and the water's pressure would come up and flow through the pipe. Mm. And it would go into a cistern or a well area. And then from there, there was an overflow that would go to a natural stream or a natural ditch and move on. In this particular farm, they used to, because the water maintains at about 38 degrees, so it never freezes, it flows all the time. They, it was a dairy farm and they would have milk and cheese in the cistern because it provided mm-hmm. refrigeration. So it flows all the time. Like in Elmville, there's a wonderful flow that everyone stops on Highway um, 27. And uh, it just flows like it's got a a great hydro hydro pressure. And what occurred to us is when this was all going on, my husband said, let's put another well in. So we had several well drillers come here and uh, they're really not interested. One of them said, no, this is too dangerous. Mm -hmm. There's too much... Pressure. Pressure. Yeah. We're too much in the discharge area. Hmm. And he had put a well in in 1968 nearby, and they couldn't cap the pressure of the water. Like, it was like we had, they had struggled oh. <laughs> oil. That ha- yeah, that happened in my neighborhood, too, where they built a house. And they got a well drill in that didn't know what was happening, put a well in, and so much water came out, they hit right on a vein, I guess, or something, and just went They had to put in four more wells around the property just to reduce the pressure so they could cap it. So it's it's crazy how much water is underneath this land in some kind. Mm -hmm. Two doors over, um, they have a huge flow. And the gentleman who, when I moved here, was an older gentleman. He had a water taking permit there because he was a chemist. He worked for Benjamin Moore Paints in Toronto, and this was his summer home. He got a water taking permit because in 1960, he felt that we would be selling bottled water. Anyways, that got revoked when he sold the farm. But that well has like tremendous, the scientists have been around, has tremendous pressure in it. Like it's like, it's, they had to dig a pond for the water to go into the pond. Right. Before it, like it was a whole system of, of catching that pressure, which is amazing, right? But um, we we can't get uh, a well driller to come and drill us a well. Yeah, we have the same problem. Too. Now, Beth, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Because uh-huh. years ago, you may not remember, <clears throat> but um, years ago, you came to Springwater Council. And at the time, we were talking about Midhurst and kind of the development plans that were going there and the challenge 
of what it could potentially do to the menacing wetlands. And you actually talked about compromised water and oh, yes. the idea of what compromised water is versus, mm-hmm. I don't know what, I don't know what the op- uncompromised water. I was wondering if you just, yeah. I was so inspired by that, what you were saying. I don't remember all of it, but just that mm. idea of compromised water, if you could. Yeah. Um, beach, that is compromised water mm-hmm. is a word we use. And then the bay, that's the water that is unused and it hasn't been touched and it's coming from a natural source. So it's in the lakes, the streams, the aquifers. So um, <clears throat> we don't have a word for compromised water. It's either beach, like it's compromised, but we don't have a, it's been used or it's been touched and it's been changed into a different format through the top or, you know, mm-hmm. like something's been done to it. It's been put into a container or some sort. And then I think I was saying that time that uh, we don't have a word for like polluted water or, uh, you mm-hmm. know, that's... I can't even remember how that all went, but it was the difference between the beach and the, and the bay. The bay, yeah. <clears throat> Likely because <clears throat> there was a time when there was not any polluted water, right? No, so yeah, there so was no need for, for, for language that. around it. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of just summing up here, um, I'd like each of you to think about, you know, the people that are listening to this may not know anything about water, aggregate, kind of what's kind of happening here. And two things, maybe you can each answer on your own or whatever, but what is one thing that you think people can do if they've heard this and something has touched them to say, whether it be about Waverly or about just water in general, and how would you like them, what's one way that they can change how they think or feel about water? So two things, one, what can they actually do? What's some action they can put in? And then two, where do you think that they could heal their relationship with water? One thing that they could do. And go. (laughs) (laughs) I think offering tobacco at the water, whenever you go buy water and put a little prayer in there just so that the creator knows and and Mother Earth knows that we're still thinking of them and send as much love as you can to everything around and everybody and just stay in that, try and stay in that state of raised vibrations so that we can help affect those people that haven't woke up yet. And uh, the boat, the best way to help save the water, I guess, is stand with us when it's time to get arrested when we're standing in front of trucks trying to wreck our water. Okay. Get ready to be arrested. That's about it. Get ready to be active to stand do up the, for it. Do the Jane Fonda and her friend thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'll leave that. God bless you, Beth. <laughs> You're a true warrior. Um, well... Since my involvement, I've always been a believer. I've always believed in Mother Nature, and I believed in listening to that flow run from my bedroom at night with the window open, morning and night. It was like, it was a melody. And I'm a believer that if we can, everyone can consciously take a glass of water as a tap runs, and Beth taught me this, Look at it and say, hey, you know what? We're here for you. We're going to make a difference. And consciously, and stay in that state of consciousness every time the tap is turned on, you fill the kettle, you run the tub, you do laundry, right? Without water, a million people can be without work, but a million people cannot be without water. Hmm. They will die. We need to consciously, this, this is it. This is our greatest resource. You know, the Third World War is going to be over 
our great water. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to be mindful. And I agree in the power of, of just believing that we can make a change. We need to get a backbone in this country. We're, we live in a country of abundance and we've taken it for granted. And hopefully the next generations are more conscious of that and we don't take it for granted. We don't run the tap excessively. We stand up to our politicians and say, hey, let's recycle, reuse, and let's become accountable to the planet. And I think we we need to instill that in our children and the youths are are doing that across the globe, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful. But we just need to give conscious to the con a conscious a conscience sorry to the people that are in power because i believe they don't have it i think they'll run on greed and go from there and i think everybody has a role people say why you never win that battle i hear that every single day and i tell them i said that's the wrong attitude we need to have we need to stand united it's going to take a whole village to do this it's mm-hmm. going to take scientists it's going to take our first nation it's going to take children it's going to take our youth it's going to take everybody to protect this greatest resource we have and we need to stand shoulder to shoulder in all of this and tell them that we're not going to take it we need to get a backbone we really mm-hmm. need to get a backbone mm-hmm. maybe letter writing <clears throat> attending your council meetings, you know, everything gets done. We hire, we hire, um, well, we don't hire them, but we vote in, in this democratic society, people that represent us in every municipality. But they don't necessarily make decisions that involve the best interest of the municipality. Generally, it involves the best interest of the dollar sign. Mm-hmm. And I think once we feel that we've had enough, we've got enough, and we're doing enough, mm-hmm. then we'll truly, that gratitude will mm-hmm. will be there. But there's lots to be done. Yeah, we need you. We need you. There's the Facebook page, Friends of the Waverly Uplands. There's uh, FOTSA, the Friends of the Tiny Township um, Federation of the Tiny Township Shoreline Association. Yes. And uh, they are going to take um, the next aggregate um, expansion to the OMB. That's costing thousands of dollars. So they've opened a um, hundreds of thousands of dollars. They've opened a GoFundMe account. So on the FOTSA website, there is uh, a GoFundMe account. And... um, there's the Friends of the Waverly Uplands. We've uh, tried to get the word out there. You know, tell two people about the importance and that the politicians and the Ministry of Environment don't have our fresh water in our best interest. Mm-hmm. And the private well owners are not protected in this Wellhead Protection Act. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we- and even in the Wellhead Protection Zones, there are certain activities that were never considered um, polluting. So... Uh, certain commercial things like dry cleaners would never get within there, but yeah. construction and certain types of, of mining would be allowed because mm-hmm. the way that the the way that the rating system is is that they're never really seen as a big threat to water. Mm-hmm. And anybody that sees these operations knows how much of a threat they are, especially mm-hmm. when we've done such a good job of segregating land from water. You know, it's a marriage. The, the, those aquifers are built within rock, within sand. Mm-hmm. With, you well, know, it's not just it's not just a, a pool of water in the middle of nowhere. 
but we have these laws that apply to land and laws that applies to water and they're not the same. And I always say to people, you cannot love water and hate the land. You cannot love the land and hate the water. You, what you do to one, well you do to both. Yeah, well and said. so um, I hope that people recognize that even when they're driving down the street and you see trees and forests and plains and grasslands or whatever, there is, generally speaking, Simcoe County, there's water underneath. There's water running underneath there. And we need to start appreciating that those things need to be married again. So since we recorded this, there have been some updates. Tiny Township has called on the Ministry of Natural Resources and CRH to uh, just hold off on expanding the Teton Pit. Uh, this The primary reason for this, as far as I understand, is that there is a study being conducted into why uh, the water, the groundwater in that area, as we've been talking about, uh, is among the purest that's ever been tested. So they would like to know why that is, what the filtration process is. And uh, basically, I guess, just have answers before proceeding with something that could potentially dramatically alter that. All right, well, I think we are pretty much done. <laughs> that was a long one, sorry. Yeah, well. There's just too much content to put in. There's there's so much. People say nothing happens in Simcoe County, but actually you just have to kind of look below the surface. There's lots. Yeah. There's lots. Yeah. All right. Talk soon.